freedom is the only gift that you cannot have unless you're willing to give it to others. That's what it's all about. If it really is just you get some privileges because you won the election, then you no longer have a free country. And that's increasingly where we're headed. Elections shouldn't matter that much. You've reached This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and this is Paul's weekend podcast, wherein he discusses the articles he's written this week on thisiscommonsense.org. This was recorded on the first day of 2021. You know, people are so, the, 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 just the misty-eyed remembrances of 2020. <laughs> just hate to see that beautiful year go. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what people do. Um, <laughs> I'm referring to this year as going to be the year of the Antichrist, trademarked. Uh, so we'll we'll see how this goes. But I'm, I'm not I'm I'm not looking for great things in 2021. You're so you're so hopeful. I'm so you're not a pathological optimist. That's uh, that's what I've been accused of being. I try to be an optimist. Well, I'm I'm an optimist in the sense that I think that we should enjoy the demise of Western civilization while we have a chance to look at it. Um, you know, <laughs> let's let's just stop it. Stop. Stop. Four of the five days this week, four of the five scripts, are about freedom of speech. And if the West, if America is anything, we're all about freedom of speech. That's what we've given to the world. This whole world, I read a legal brief years ago on one of these free speech cases, and I thought it was so beautiful. Uh, it was Jim Bob who wrote the brief. Um, but he talked from the very beginning about the king of England trying to stop people from speaking out against the King of England. And of course, the First Amendment in our wonderful Constitution says Congress shall make no law. You politicians, you people with the power of government, you can do nothing to stop us from speaking our mind. Nothing. We can say, and we, what we say, if we say something that's untrue, that harms somebody, they have every legal right to come after us and sue us in a court of law and say that we have, have lied and damaged them in some way with our lies. If that's what happens, then so be it. Uh, that's only justice. But you cannot stop people from speaking out. And after we get to a little uh, seasonal uh, Monday script, uh, which was the season of not demanding, little different way to look at uh, politics uh, with the Christmas bent, then then it's all about free speech. And it just seems we are constantly at war in this country about freedom of speech. And as people, regular listeners know, I'm constantly at war, so to speak, not actually at war, but uh, in a in a theoretical uh, mindset with the totalitarians running the, or the Chi Nazis, as the Hong Kong protesters call them, the CCP, the uh, Chinese Communist Party, that's running China. And uh, their whole effort, and in fact, the whole reason now, and I don't know how much Americans are following it, uh, I've been following it very closely, but right now you've got a trade war going on between Australia and, and uh, China. And, you know, you think of Australia and you think of this huge country, Australia is 25 million people and their biggest customer is China. And uh, and it's a serious deal there for them. And what is it that China said? We did a did a commentary about it a couple of weeks ago. What is it that China said they wanted, you know, uh, Australia to do differently? They want them to shut up. <laughs> 
They want them to shut up about Taiwan. They want them to shut up about Hong Kong. They want them to shut up about taking islands in the South China Sea that belong to Malaysia or Vietnam or somebody else or the Philippines. They want them to shut up about an investigation into COVID-19 and the way that China covered things up. Um, and, and so, so much, so often I think people think, well, that's some problem over there. But China's got so many tentacles, not just in Australia, but in the United States, in Europe. And it's this huge market that our businessmen, our businessmen, uh, they're not really ours, but uh, businessmen and women would love to go make millions and billions of dollars in China. We saw the NBA just couldn't hardly stand itself, although there were some great actors in that who stood up. There were also people like LeBron James who kind of said, hey, we're trying to make money. Who cares about human rights? And, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but, but go look at what he said. Because King's Airball on at uh, thisiscommonsense.org goes through uh, what LeBron James had to say. And we did a number of scripts about what was happening there. But that battle over freedom of speech that is writ large globally, with China ascending their number two economic power now, they soon look to be number one, and, uh, and they hate free speech, and they hate democracy. And they're, they're very upfront about that. They don't allow it in their country and they don't want it anywhere else. And uh, I don't want America to be like that. And increasingly, that is where the battle lines are drawn. But first, let's talk about the season of demanding. Let me interrupt this for a moment. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? No, you didn't because I couldn't because Skype elided a word. Paul is discussing his December 28th piece, The Season of Not Demanding. Now, I suppose I could have uh, dubbed in not in his speech, but it would sound funny to have him say the season of and me say not and then cut back to demanding. So I spliced this whole interruption right here. Which allows us first to tell people we have more at thisiscommonsense.org than just my illuminating uh, commentary. We also, every day of the week, seven days, not just five, we have a thought, something that somebody in history, could be recently, could be a long time ago, said that we think was wise, that we think was significant, that we think was important. And, uh, and so we often do that. We also have a today feature, which is basically today in history or today in freedom, what happened. Uh, and so, you know, each day you can come to the website and you can not only uh, hear me agitate, but you can uh, hear other people agitate and, uh, and, and learn a little history or just enjoy a little history that you already know. Um, but we had before, I guess it was Christmas Eve, the thought was this, William Allen White, who said, liberty is the only thing you cannot have unless you are willing to give it to others. Very simple statement, but oh, oh, so true. And, and as we pointed out, there's other things, you know, love doesn't work so well if, you, if you're not, if it's not in some reciprocal way and, and trust and all kinds of other uh, human interaction, emotions and, and uh, so on, uh, rely on some uh, reciprocal uh, element there. But, it, but freedom is so easy to see that, that this is something, you can't reserve it for one or two people. Everybody's gotta be free or nobody's free. And that's a, it's been a running current in American 
uh, history and in and in basically expanding rights and getting rid of things like slavery and uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act and things like that. So um, and giving women the vote and and uh, a lot of good things. This uh, year, though, I think really kind of points up maybe the flip side of that, which is that you just can't ask people to give up uh, all their freedoms. And um, and I think, you know, we mentioned that sometimes it's dangerous to, to defend freedom. And and uh, you can think about uh, military service, conscription. I'm a tremendous opponent of conscription in, in all cases. I don't think you ever need it to defend a place like the United States of America. We never have. And I don't think we ever will. As long as we have a free country, I think we'll have plenty of people to defend it as long as we're willing to, like, pay them, not leave them on the battlefield, not not mistreat them. Um, but this year, the challenges have been all about this pandemic. And we have, as a government, society, nation, you know, whatever, whatever nonspecific, nonreal term we want to use for it, is demanding that people not work and is impoverishing people. And, and you know, you, you see... The schools, which are incredibly political, I mean, the teachers union, the National Education Association and the uh, Americans for what, what is the uh, American Federation Federation of Teachers? Yes. Um, you know, those two groups have tremendous power. And so it doesn't surprise me very much that even though schools are probably the least likely to spread the, the uh, COVID-19 virus, um, they are some of the first to close up. And, um, and so, you know, we're in, in those cases, you know, what we hear is that people are, you know, they're, they're, this is hurting the poor more than wealthier people. And that's true. And that's likely to be true about almost any bad thing that happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, the more money you have, you're going to buy a nicer home. You're going to have a nicer car. You're going to have a, and, and you're going to be able to have a generator when the electricity goes out or and uh, which I don't have. I guess I'm not, I'm not wealthy. Um, as soon as I get that, then I will be. But anyway, we have a society in which we talk all the time about how we need to help those who are less fortunate. And then we have a pandemic and the talk kind of remains the same. But what's being done is devastating to people who are working on the clock, who can't work from home. And if you're busing tables someplace, if you're a, a waiter, uh, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of jobs. If you work at the grocery store, as my daughter does, um, you know, you can't do that from home. And uh, and it's a problem. And I look at my work situation and and I do work out of my home. Uh, so it's it's been very, very easy to deal with that. And so it's uh, there was a cartoon I saw where, where you had, uh, you know, three boats and, and one of the boat were the people working at home and, uh, you know, executives and so on. And they were all talking about how we're all in this together. <laughs> and, and you had these other boats of like essential workers who are suffering. And, and we can say we're all in this together. But, you know, and, and I'm not arguing for let's mandate that no one wears a mask or let's mandate that everyone wears a mask. I'm arguing for freedom that we just keep the same deal we've had all along. We've got laws, we've got a constitution. 
if I were the governor or mayor of some place, I would give you the best information I could give you. I would make the suggestions as to what I think you need to do. But we really have, in essence, decided to go from the freedom model to a more Chinazi, uh, you know, totalitarian model of the state's going to decide everything and you just do what they tell you to. And it turns off the brain of every businessman who'd be looking for a better way to get more people in the store in a safe way. No businessman wants to have his business closed down because he's accused of spreading some disease. Um, and and so, you know, from, from day one, freedom would have been a much better way to deal with this. And uh, but but part of what we're point we're making in this the season of not demanding is that you just don't have a right in the Christmas season, in this season of gift giving, you can give everybody freedom, but you just can't give people things that require you to demand that other people's lives are just destroyed. And there are all kinds of small businesses being destroyed. There are all kinds of working people who are much poorer now than they were a year ago and who might be in age groups that had they got COVID three times, they, by now they wouldn't have you know, been at any high risk. And so you know, if you are at a high risk, then act accordingly. If you're not, you know, and, and again, yeah, that's what freedom's all about. But, you know, it, it's... Uh, I might just skip over the Portland chaos. Uh, I didn't see a free speech angle to that. So what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. I probably just made that up. I, I do that sometimes. Okay. You, know, I, you get the momentum okay. going. You just figure you can pull anything along. <laughs> but, so you have three free speech pieces this week. <laughs> three. End, maybe. What? Free speech? What is that? Uh, but let's jump to Ron Paul versus uh, Fauci. And YouTube versus you. And uh, this this week, uh, we learned that Ron Paul has a video with the Ron Paul report. Now, Ron Paul is a medical doctor and obstetrician of many years. He's in his late 70s or maybe he's even 80 now. Uh, he may be in his 80s now. Uh, but a longtime congressman, ran for president, ran for president as a libertarian. I ran his petition drives to get on the ballot when he ran in uh, 1988 as a libertarian for president. And uh, it was one of the first big, big jobs I had and uh, and big fan of Ron Paul. He testified at my trial on refusing to register for the draft way back when. Uh, so I, I know him, uh, I, I adore him and um, not perfect. Don't agree with everything he's ever done in his life, but, but uh, uh, awfully good guy and someone who knows something about medicine. Um, but as we'll learn, you know, uh, what people know and what can be argued in a court of law, there's not some book somewhere that's all truth. I mean, I mean I'm sure there are many Christians out there saying, hey, uh, what about the Bible? Well, there's going to be a lot of arguments about that. And when it comes to U.S. law, it doesn't it doesn't apply. And I think we're glad it doesn't apply because I think there's enough stories there that could be interpreted different ways that we don't want the Supreme Court. I mean, they have enough trouble with a very, you know, a very short text written in English, a text that's been translated and is long and full of all kinds of flowery things that people think means all kinds of different things. Anyway, those of you out there arguing that we ought to have the Supreme Court 
uh, interpret the Bible. You're wrong. That's all I can say. Um, <laughs> but uh, they can't even interpret the Constitution. <laughs> right, right. But interestingly enough, we do have a regime now in place, and it's not all government. Although there are government connections with YouTube and Google and Alphabet, the, you know, the parent company, uh, and Facebook and Twitter and all these. And something's going to have to be done. Uh, and, it, may, you know, my hope is that the marketplace can take care of it without us having to change any laws, that people will move away from some of these platforms and that will cause these platforms to get better or to lose more market share. But the idea behind all this, people who say, well, that's not censorship. Don't call it censorship. We don't want censorship from the government. We really don't want censorship from big companies either that are supposed to be serving us. We don't want them, you know, coming to our house and, and kind of browbeating us uh, into keeping our mouths shut or not watching certain videos or not reading certain books. I mean, that would seem weird. And yet that's what we have. If, we, if you're on Facebook, if you're on, on Twitter, I mean, you, you're on a, a, a system, a platform that basically silenced the fourth largest paper in the country two weeks before an election for printing a story that was true and that was about the Democrat and in an unfavorable light that, that they didn't want. And, and they can come up with ever. I mean, it, we're so far you know, the, the horses have been out of the barn for so long on this that it's just really almost silly to think, well, no, it was just an accidental thing. You know, um, there's no accidental things here. It's obvious that they didn't want Donald Trump to win. And they have every right not to want Donald Trump to win. But we have every right to speak and to have robust debate and to find out more facts. And it's it is awfully important when it comes to a presidential election. It's also awfully important when it comes to a pandemic and this particular pandemic looks to be like the, you know, the, the fatality rate is around 1%. Um, but, but it, the, the truth is it's still 300,000 people plus in the United States who've died of this. If this is a serious thing, then the way we deal with serious things is to have robust debate and have everyone able to speak out. And instead, YouTube silences Ron Paul and says he can't speak out and, of course, isn't clear as to what he said precisely that was the problem. This and the, the whole the whole rationale for this is that somehow people will just go crazy if you allow them to speak out freely and to hear what they want to hear and to share things they want to share and even a meme that's not quite accurate. I mean, have you ever seen a meme that was 100% accurate? I don't know that there is one. But anyway, that somehow we're going to go crazy if that's the case. And all experience proves that that's not, that we don't go crazy when we hear more information. When we go crazy, when society starts to break down, when conspiracy theories are rampant is when we can't get information. When you close it off, when we know the people we want to listen to are having their videos slammed shut, when you've canceled what, what we wanted to hear, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're right. That's why you have free and open debate. If we knew everything going in, well, then you could have your dictatorial Nazi society worldwide. We're just a few experts decided everything. 
the world has so decided that's not the way to go. And in essence, it's the success of America because it's our original idea. And don't, you know, don't act, we don't have any patent or anything on it. So don't, there's no money coming to us, but, but hey, that's our idea. And the world is accepting it at every level that they get a chance to accept it. At every opportunity, everywhere in the world, from Belarus to Hong Kong, that's what people want. And the rulers want them to be silenced, to be blocked. I mean, in, in India, what was the one province, what was it, two months, three months, that the, that the internet was just closed down? And you think about this, the wonders of social media and our ability to speak out and organize and get united against the bad guys, because the, the, the advantage we have in the world as people, as just regular folks, is that there's more of us and we're mostly good. We're all a little bad. We're mostly good. Our problem is not that the average person is a criminal psychopath. That's not our problem. If that were the problem, <laughs> things would be much worse, I assure you. Um, the problem is that we have all kinds of people in power who have shown themselves to be psychopaths and who, even if they're not psychopaths, are going to do things in their own interest if they have the control. That's the way of the world. So this Dr. Ron Paul, former congressman, uh, father of a U.S. senator, uh, and I only say that because this is not, it's not like, hey, if you're on the fringes, of course, that'd be just as bad. But this is not on the fringes. This is we have platforms that only tell you certain things that we want you to know. And that's what I've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we'll continue to say like a broken record that, um, you know, we we are constantly being told only what they want us to know so that we will agree with their political positions. That's the way I view the media. Um, and of course, um, in in a sense, one of the other big problems is academia and the whole education system, which is government controlled, and which you know, as as uh, folks, you know, anybody who knows anything about uh, fake news, I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, um, the government is the is the biggest uh, proponent an exponent of, uh, of fake news. Uh, but we did a, a piece, Totalitarians Gloat, about some teachers in high school who were working on curriculum, working on what books should be read, and who decided that the Odyssey should not be read. And of course, you know, why shouldn't you read the Odyssey? Well, it's as I pointed out, all about ancient racism and sexism. And the, the thing that's just so funny to me is when we were kids, and this is, you know, 50 years ago, uh, you know, we read books all the time that didn't quite fit the time period. And it didn't seem like it was really hard for the teacher to say, well, now, of course, in that day and time, they thought this and this and this and this. And we go, oh, yeah, OK, well, yeah, that's kind of funny. Um, it was a learning experience. It was kind of how you learned how things were different because, well, here they are writing it down and it comes out in a totally different way than we would today. 
you know, it's part of the educational process. But uh, but if you want, if you believe that if you just create your own propaganda, you know, wall that you can control the public, well, then you're that's what you're trying to do. And that is what these teachers were trying to do. And I think happens all the time. And uh, the, the, of the story, I was just surprised at how brazen they were, just how public these teachers talked about. We've nixed the Odyssey. We don't we don't teach it anymore. And and because it's just so much an awful book, which it's not an awful book, by the way. I mean, it really isn't a, a bad book. Yes, I admit in this commentary that if I read it, I read it as a number. I read a number of books as a little kid in the classics illustrated. They're lying around the house as a comic. It looks interesting. <laughs> uh, and I, I read. In fact, I uh, I uh, I read a number of of a few years ago. I uh, Tale of Two Cities, one of my favorite all time books. And then I realized I'd never read it. <laughs> so, but I'd seen the movie and I'd read the classics illustrated. And I love the the character of Sidney Carton. I think is one of the all time great characters. Um, and and so I, but I finally read it. You know, three or four or five years ago much after my report in high school on it, which got an A. Okay, very good. <laughs> it has a great opening and it has a great conclusion. I've never read it either, but I've read the ending at the beginning. <laughs> well, I have read it all now. And it's, it's you know, Dickens is a little bit uh, dense sometimes. It's just, you know, it's just more words than we need to, you don't have to describe what the seat looked like that much and, you know, on the train or whatever. But, uh, but it was... You know, for me, uh, just getting that book finished, considering that, you know, it's like, to me, it's one of the all-time great books. And I thought that before I had ever actually read the book, which is, uh, my wife would just kill me for, my my wife, when we go to movies, in fact, we all, we we kid her that, that when we go to a movie, you know, afterwards we go, you know, because she's always complaining that it didn't follow the book. And she'll never go to a movie until she's read the book. You just can't do that. That's like a sin, you know. But we'll always joke that, you know, in that one scene, I thought in the book that the the drapes were a little further over to the right. (laughs) Well, you at least have a literate wife. Yes, yes. Which is nice. Well, the interesting thing, though, the little twist, and we give you twists every once in a while at thisiscommonsense.org. This is Totalitarian's Gloat. It was our uh, New Year's Eve piece. But the little twist here is that this kind of that that the Odyssey is this male, you know, sexist uh, thing. Well, there's some scholarship that says it was actually ghostwritten by a female, an authoress, uh, I guess is what they said at the time. Or maybe not at the time, but several hundred or a thousand years later. But um, isn't that interesting that that, uh, you know, here it was back in that day. Uh, you know, it, it would be ghostwritten by a woman, maybe not not officially written by a woman, but there she is being sexist. If true, if true, we don't know for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of things we don't know for sure, except that I think we know for sure that these people are nuts. That these people who want to gloat as they uh, just ride herd over everybody else on what what they can read. I mean, the very idea, I mean, you mentioned it, the the very idea of a liberal education is you get a bunch of different perspectives. I've most of the books I read, I don't agree with everything they say. It's shocking, isn't it? (laughs) 
You know, I I really I found out in college that I really enjoyed reading stuff I didn't agree with. That I just could I would get so you know ready to counter it that I was going, and and so I could you know if I agreed completely with it, it was boring kind of. So uh, I you know, and of course in in the very little bit of college I did uh, read a lot of you know commie literature. So. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, fiction is fiction. And also, when you when you're reading a story like the I mean, these epics, I mean, you're reading about lots of warfare, killing, murder, rape. There's all sorts of awful things. It's false imprisonment. The, the Odyssey is full of everything. And they're trying to protect the kids from what now? Yeah, it's very odd. It, it, this is the same kind of thing we got when you know 30 years ago when uh, conservatives were saying that we shouldn't. You know, you know, this all the all the sex stuff. We shouldn't have that kind of education because, uh, yeah, and and I think they were probably saying more. uh, They shouldn't have sex education because the parents—that's the parents' job, not the schools—to to give sex sex education. But the truth is, it's the parents' job to give all education. And the moment the schools are anything but a help to the parents, something is wrong. And and I think on a lot of these things, like sex, sex education, which I'm all for, uh, we had some when I was in uh, junior high and high school, and it was just horrible, terrible stuff that seemed designed. I won't go into it all, but it was it was seemed designed to like don't have sex because here's they showed like a live birth, and of course I've I was at I've I've been at four births. Um, you know, in the room and so on. It's a wonderful thing. It's not gross. Um, but this movie was absolutely gross. And I decided after, you know, years later, realizing, I, I guess they just showed that to us to, like, make us think, oh, don't, don't do this to some woman because it's so terrible. Um, who knows what their motivations were. In Driver's Ed, they show you all the car crashes yes. with, in, quite gruesomely. The yeah. idea is pretty clear. When my freshman year of college, I took a uh, human sexuality class um, as one of my electives, and boy, learned learned a few things. Now, most of it I already knew, but uh, but I learned a few things. And so I'm all for that. Somebody else might say, "Look, I think it should be done this way," and they're they're not going to do it at school. Shouldn't that be? I mean, shouldn't we have choice in education in all kinds of different ways? I'm not just talking about school choice, but in in a zillion different ways, a marketplace. You know, we have all kinds of choices on on apps, on different things. Why why can't we have the choice there? When I was a kid, the, the most important thing in, um, in this regard was the Encyclopedia Britannica. And that even goes for the Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> My middle daughter, uh, when when she was maybe 11, 12, um, I... I my wife kind of ended her school, you know, early because she was way ahead. She's very, very, very academically oriented. And uh, and all of a sudden, I can't find any of the world books. And she had them all in a room, like spread out, reading the world book. And uh, <laughs> well, you may have you may have stopped the school year early, but uh, but Chelsea hasn't. So anyway, she was still picking up things, explaining to me what a farm was. And uh, all kinds of things that it was seventy thousand acres of you know she she knew it all, knew it all. Anyway, but it's it's okay. 
it's again about letting people learn what they want to learn. It's amazing how much people can learn when when they get to choose. We should jump to reality about fake news, which uh, is really just you know kind of bringing forth uh, some of the ideas that Ray Scott Percival has written about, and uh, he had a, a column on Medium, and. The main point he's making is there is no objective truth and you can't, you know, a, a society that tries to like staple objective truth to the wall, it's like stapling jelly to the wall, except when you staple jelly to the wall, millions of people don't get hurt. And when you try to staple truth to the wall and force everyone to only say what your designed truth is, millions of people get really badly hurt. That's, you know, I mean, it, 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 it seems that this is pretty self-evident. And, and so I think that's something that, uh, from a philosophical standpoint, you know, goes into some explanation for why it's not so easy to just come up with objective truth. Well, think about this pandemic. Do masks work? Do they not work? Now, if you listen to the news, the masks are wonderful. And the only reason that it ever spreads is because someone didn't wear their mask or someone did something that they weren't told to do on TV. Um, and but but we don't know that. We don't know if the masks have done a little bit of good, no good. They've been negative. I mean, that was they, what they told us at first. And so <clears throat> it's not hard to realize that if you were trying to staple truth to the wall during this pandemic, that you would have to rip down what you'd stapled and staple something else. And, and that's why you allow everyone, everyone, everywhere to step up at any time and say, hey, I got a different idea on this. I've thought this through and here's what I think. And if they're a crackpot, you know, the truth is, you know, it's not like we've, you know, We've had all kinds, you know, we haven't all launched off there. There's people who've said that it's, you know, the world's going to end at a certain set date, but, you know, and then they kind of look foolish, but it wasn't like there were millions of people cramming into that. You know, the, the, the people are not so gullible and we need that robust debate. And we know when we don't have it, when we see people like Ron Paul having their videos canceled and blocked, we know we don't live in a free country anymore. And it's just as simple as that. Speaking of not a free country, for our finale, how about the Portland chaos? And um, that was Tuesday. That was Tuesday. And uh, we're talking about Portland. And there's a little chaos in Portland, Maine, but we're talking about Portland, Oregon here. And it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, it was a letter to the editor, and the headline to it was, uh, something about being shocked at what's happened to Portland. And of course, my first thought was, how could anyone be shocked that Portland is in deep doo-doo because Portland's acting like insane people in terms of an official response to all of this? Um, but it, it's, uh, here's, here's what uh, Alan Grinnell, he writes this uh, letter to the editor. He says, as a lifelong uh, Portlander, I am shocked at what our city has become. So the headline kind of made it seem like he was shocked that it happened. Well, he's not shocked at, at what it what it is now. He's just shocked that they've done all the stupid things that have caused it to be what it is. But here's what he says. Who would have thought 
that our downtown would become a wasteland, that there would be homeless camps everywhere in the city, and that gangs of armed thugs on all sides of the political spectrum would run out our police. Part of what's happened in Portland is this red house where the people who are black and indigenous, uh, who didn't pay their mortgage from 2017 until 2020, which is kind of a long time to live someplace and not pay the mortgage, just saying, and um, that there is now this effort to keep them. They, I believe they've been, um, um, what's the word for it? I can't. Uh, evicted. Evicted. There you go. Uh, I want to say convicted. They weren't convicted, but they were evicted. And then the house was basically taken over by kind of an armed camp. And of course, some of the neighbors who've been talked to in a couple of different articles I read, you know, are, are think it's too bad what's happened to them and that they're, the city ought to be more understanding or the person, although the person who actually owns the property said he was willing to sell it to them and to, you know, let's work out a deal. And so it, it does seem like as one black man on, uh, on Reddit uh, said, uh, you know, this is pretty ridiculous. He suggested that we ignore these loons. Um, but other neighbors, of course, have talked about it being a very threatening situation, uh, that they're not threatened by the people who live there. I forget the name of the family at the moment, but uh, uh, but were threatened by the people who are defending the people there. And the mayor has you know, quickly said something about we're not going to let this become an autonomous zone. But of course, that's exactly what it is right now. Uh, it's not a very big one, maybe, but that's what it is. This is really problematic. Um, I don't see myself as like Mr. Law and Order. And and when I see a protest, I'm kind of glad there's protesting. You know, my first thought is, oh, that looks fun. What are you protesting? What's this about? I'm probably on your side. But um, but I look at this and I just think, my goodness, you you've got you have to have some law, law and enforcing the law is not a recipe for chaos. Not enforcing the law is the recipe for chaos. And that almost all of these problems are by kind of encouraging it. And we did a commentary, I don't know how many months ago, but when Ted Wheeler, the, the stupid mayor, you should have a set of mayor, it should be stupid mayor, Ted Wheeler. <laughs> Who's running for stupid mayor this fall? Um, anyway, he comes out to a rally, and this is when all the controversy and some of the controversy with Trump and stuff and the federal agents, of course, to me, that kind of all became moot after the federal agents left, and then everything got worse, not better. So, you know, I, I didn't I didn't somehow see it that it was the federal agents that were not that everything they did, I didn't, you know, I didn't have sign off, so I don't know everything they did, but it seems to me that that, that was not the cause because when they left, things were better. But anyway, this is be while they were still there. Wheeler comes down with his entourage, his security detail, to speak at a rally in the downtown Portland with all the protesters and with some people who were not protesters, but violent kind of property destroying thugs. And um, in the article now, he comes out and he talks about how, you know, he's with you and blah, 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 and so on. He's all with them. Well, they're booing him. They're catcalling and not catcalling, but, uh, you know, saying different stuff that's not very 
friendly. And they're throwing stuff at him too, right? They're throwing stuff at him. But in the article, they and I didn't see this on any of the video, but in the article, they also said that the security detail had fisticuffs with some of the people around the stage and so on. So this is a mayor who, one, is trying to say, hey, I'm your buddy, when the only way to get there is to like have fist fights to get there because the violence is so at the, you know, right out in the open. And what is he doing? He is, in essence, endorsing them, even while they're aggressing against him. But what does that say to everybody else? Seems to me it says that um, if the mayor is saying you're okay and you can aggress against him, it's open season to do anything you want. You're the king of the town. And I don't think we want to tell armed thugs, left, right, or in between, that they are the king of any towns in America. That just, that just seems simple enough. And what Portland has done, this is, to me, this is not about Republican, Democrat. There have to be hundreds of Democratic mayors throughout this country who would do nothing like what Mayor Wheeler has done in Portland, Oregon. Nothing like it. I just have to have faith that that's true. And uh, and I'm sure there are Republican mayors who are idiots. But, but what's happening in Portland is... It needs to be called out, needs to be understood, because otherwise it gets repeated. Otherwise, it, it, it you know, you could, we could be here in a few years and people talk about, well, remember when, you know, the police did all the terrible stuff in Portland? And, and look, you have a right to protest police brutality around this country, which I think, you know, has been committed against a lot of black men and women and a lot of white men and women and a lot of Hispanic men and women and other men and women. And it's all wrong, and we should condemn it. And just because George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis doesn't mean you can't protest in Portland, because you probably had some similar incidents in Portland or around that area. But it does mean that you probably ought not to burn down the town of Portland. I mean, I don't know how that come uh, uh, Hey, someone was killed somewhere else, so I want to smash out Starbucks windows here. Or I want to spray paint the bus stop because George Floyd, the police in Minneapolis, mistreated him. And, of course, if they're doing it in Portland, to me, okay, did they do something? How would you fix that so it doesn't happen again? Let's go change the law. And that's the thing with all of these that has just bothered me so much. The public is there. We want, it, 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 when you poll on, on these criminal justice issues, they're literally 85 and 90% support for doing something. If you can put them on the ballot, they'll win. If city councils will pass them, they'll be popular. Um, and yet it doesn't seem to happen. And instead, we just, instead we want to have a, a big fight about everything and leave everything as, as open wounds. And again, some people will say, hey, well, we need to have this discussion about race. Let's have it. But don't, that, there's no reason we have to continue to allow the police to have laws that allow them to, to rough people up and get away with it. Let's fix that. We don't have to, we don't have, to have a long, multi-year conversation about anything before we fix the criminal justice problems. And, of course, if we have an honest discussion about race, the country will be better off. That doesn't appear to be on anybody's agenda, but, uh, but it would be nice. I don't think they want an honest conversation about race. If they wanted one, they would have one. What they want is to riot. Uh, and that's a different thing. I mean, that's just a different thing. I, 
Of course, it's in the context of the COVID lockdowns. So they probably would never have happened if people weren't feeling crazy already. Right? Yes. And uh, I mean, there's something there to be said. But also, we have to remember the media fanned the flames of this, the media bias yeah. and the, the, how they played yeah. it. They did. And Wheeler himself, you mentioned Wheeler, and the, that guy was, it's worse than appeasement. I mean, he was basically giving a weird form of encouragement that's not his job to encourage. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, in D.C., they put Black Lives Matter across one of the streets. And, you know, people complain that, hey, wait a second, you're taking sides in this thing. (coughs) Well, they were sued by uh, Judicial Watch saying that they wanted a street that said something about the Constitution is the law. Uh, Or they wanted a different slogan. And of course, That's there's really there's nothing wrong with having a streak that says Black Lives Matter or the Constitution matters or whatever you want to say matters. But it probably should be your street. Or if it's a public street, then you have to start letting everybody who has an idea they want plastered on the street do it. And it's you know, these are (laughs) these are not really complex rules. These are not hard things to you know, it, it and does this movement, did it need the city to do that? What it says in D.C. is that the government's on one side of a political issue. And that's increasingly what it's saying to people everywhere. If you're on the right side of the majority political decision, you won the election, it's going to go your way. And you get to you get a leg up on somebody else. And that is the end of freedom. When you think about freedom is the only gift that you cannot have unless you're willing to give it to others that's what it's all about if it's a, if it if it really is just you get some privileges cuz you won the election then you no longer have a free country and that's increasingly where we're headed elections shouldn't matter that much because there shouldn't be that many changes that are going to happen i don't uh, you know i think there i think someone could say well we need all these changes that's only because we've had nobody representing us in Congress for decades and decades. So sure, we got a whole backlog of reforms that need to be made that'll never be made in this system of completely unrepresentative government. Um, but it's it's when people look like the, like the bill that came out, the COVID relief bill, and we're just apoplectic as they should be, uh, that they threw all kinds of ridiculous crap in it and that they didn't allow people to read it before it was voted on. It's insane. But at the base of all of that is that we don't have any control over our government. And it's it's telling us something really important. We don't have any real control over our government. And this year, 2021, we need to rectify that situation. And that's a wrap for the last week and first day of 2021. Well, last week of 2020 and the first day of 2021. We just about lost a whole year there. Oh, cancel culture would have gotten after you for that. Well, actually, if I erased accidentally 2020, there could be jubilation in the streets. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Good night. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode, the last of 2020 and the first of 2021 of This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. You can find This Week in Common Sense at thisiscommonsense.org. It's hosted on SoundCloud. You can find the podcast, the audio podcast, 
on a variety of podcatchers such as Apple's, Google's, and Stitcher, and the videos on YouTube and BitChute, and who knows where it will be tomorrow, after all the censorship that we know is just coming, right? Okay, let's not, I'm not supposed to be this negative. Well, if you want less negative and more positive, read Paul Jacob five days a week. He's a lot less negative than I am. Okay, should I wrap this up somehow? Am I doing this wrong? Am I wasting your time? Well, if you're still listening to me, I don't know who's to blame.